and this was one of the best years of my life. I don't know, because it's a music podcast, so I didn't, I didn't go that far. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I figured, you know, if it goes well, then that's because of me. If it goes bad, that's because of you guys. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> <laughs> you can bend behind the nut. You were just thinking of Babs Bunny. <laughs> this is a hot bunny, man. Bunnies could be hot. Club banger. Blam jam. Dude, you can't judge someone's personal life on their music, otherwise you wouldn't like Kanye. And Kanye's awesome. His music is awesome. He sucks. And now, see, I was going to the ball game, my buddy Tom. We couldn't play Zigzag Wiggle Wham by the new Ball J Boys. So close. <laughs> Welcome to the Bass and Treble Podcast. My name is Neil. I'm definitely Steve. All right. Well, I hope you are. Today we're going to cover <laughs> one of the most badass bands of the 90s, a band that doesn't mince words and has a mandate in their name, Rage Against the Machine. I like how you put that. It's mandatory that you rage. It's, it's a mandate. It's, it's great. So, yeah, we're going to talk plenty about Rage Against the Machine, and uh, we're going to cover our sucky song of the day. Uh, I think it's either Quentin Tarantino's worst decision in life, or maybe his <laughs> best, because even though the song sucks, here we are talking about it. So, he's, he, he made some catchy things happen. Tarantino, that's how you know how you made it, if we're talking about the song. Yep. <laughs> and if you haven't subscribed already, um, I'm not really sure why. I mean, if it's something Steve did to you and you can't say his name out loud, then... I'm sorry. Um, I apologize for whatever I've done in the past. Just subscribe to us and I'll make up for it. I promise. Voldemort. Uh, you can always <laughs> find us on Facebook <laughs> uh, under Bass and Treble for more occasional content. So, um, yeah, this, this, this group, another 90s band. Surprise, surprise. Can you tell that we like the 90s? Don't worry, guys. We promise we won't always stay in this decade. Um, Steve, another acronym band? Last week was RHCP, and today is RATM. So it's only natural that next week we do OPP. I mean, naughty by nature. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Rage Against the Machine, one of the hard-hitting bands of the 90s. Yeah, we thought we were really cute with the whole acronym thing until you realize people call them Rage all the time. Like, oh, man, I love that Rage song. It's a whole lot simpler. One syllable, you know who you're talking about. It's pretty good. Anyways, um, yeah, these members, um, wow, I've never seen his full name spelled out like that. Steve, why don't, why don't, we go, why don't you go ahead and cover the names of the members of this? Right, so, so there's five guys in Rage. Uh, the lead vocal guy is probably the one that... I was going to say the one that everybody knows best, but they also have a pretty sweet guitar player. Zacharias oh, yeah. Manuel de la, Ro- de la Rocha. <laughs> You're the one with Spanish accent, man. You can pull it off. <laughs> de la Rocha. Of the Roach. Yeah, right. that's great. <laughs> that's great. But uh, yeah, for those of us that didn't know his middle name was Manuel, no wonder he left that out. I mean, it instantly kind of wimpies out the name. Yeah, let's just stick with Zach de la Rocha. Zach with a K. Don't get it wrong. Their guitar player is Tom Morello. One of the most outspoken, political, but also badass guitar players of all time. He's got his own style. You can hear it a mile away and know, hey, that is Tom Morello. More on that this podcast. And then bass player is Tom Comerford. Tim. Yeah, that's how much I know about this guy. It's (laughs) like the first two are household names, and then there's Tim, and then there's Brad Wilk on drums, who is also a name that I haven't heard before today. Yeah, I got some thoughts on that guy because I um I found out his name and about him in a really roundabout way. Um, 
for through a different band. So who's that? Rush. So he was actually uh, in a Rush documentary that talked about Rush and the, the whole band, and he was featured primarily a lot of that because Rush was a big influence for him, which explains why he's such a killer bass player. Mm, I see. So th- these guys are from L.A., from from California. and uh, Another looks like L.A. band. Isn't that crazy? I didn't L.A. Know that. in the 90s sounds like a pretty groovy time. Hell yeah. Um, right, so of course there were a few bands that led up into this. But um, yeah, before we start diving into the music, Steve, let's just talk about the playlist that we're posting. Uh, we did them last week for Real Chili Peppers on Spotify and Amazon Music right. for the band we're covering. And uh, we're going to do the same for this group. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you check that out. All the more reason to subscribe to our social accounts. You get a chance to see some content that we put together for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and one of the things that so let's just talk about the origin story of Rage Against the Machine. Um came out of a band that failed, did not do well. Um, and it was uh, a band called Lock Up, which um, really I think the name is probably why they didn't make it. But they <laughs> made one album uh, called Something Bitchin' This Way. There goes that word again, Steve Loves, bitchin'. And Love it. On Geffen Records uh, in 1989. You ever heard of Nirvana? Yeah, it's the same David Geffen. Geffen. You ever heard of uh, Guns N' Roses? I didn't know that. Really? Geffen. Oh, wow. You ever heard of Beck? Yeah. Counting Crows, Hole, Blink-182, The Roots, Weezer, Rob Zombie? David Geffen Records. It's like the, the, the richest indie label guy ever. Like, who yeah. <laughs> has that many good calls, you know? Um, you ever heard of Aerosmith? Not David Geffen. <laughs> but their comeback in the 90s was... Was Geffen Records? <laughs> they just hopped on. They hopped on that train. Like if we would put that on the back of the album, somebody will buy it. Um, no, they were actually really good in the '90s. Yeah, dude had the golden touch at the time. Yeah, that 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 is kind of amazing. I'm trying to think of, um, you know, if maybe he turned down bands like Wilco, or they're also on there too. Any other kind of weird indie cool bands? Right. So there was Geffen Records, and then there was DGC, which is David Geffen Company. And DGC was more about the indie rarity kind of stuff. They came out with uh, an album with uh, Einstein on the Beach, one of my favorite Counting Crows songs, was under DGC rarities. And it's like where Weezer got their start. But I think Geffen was more of like the major label kind of bands. Those were the ones that like more the heavily promoted. This between like Fender Guitars and Fender Custom Shop. Not to be confused, guys. <laughs> yeah, man. Get it straight. Come on. This machinery is totally different. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, so the band uh, broke up, uh, Lock Up. They broke up uh, when their album received little media attention. Um, and guess who the guitar player was, Steve? Was it Tom Morello? It was. And Tom Morello was it. the founding member of this band. Um, he was trying to pick up where they left off, starting a new band, and uh, he got a hold of Brad Wilk, um, who happened to have auditioned for a certain band we loved back in the 90s. And that band was Pearl Jam. He didn't make it, though. When I think of Pearl Jam drummers, I don't think of the name Brad Wilk. No, he never made it. And he was actually, he auditioned for the band before they were Pearl Jam, kind of like the pre-band. But uh, mm. more to come on that, because that connection stays all through the night, as you can imagine. And uh, basically, right after that, they met Zach De La Rocha um, when he was rap freestyling in a club. And f- through Zach, his close friend, uh, childhood friend, actually, Tim Comerford, played bass. And there you go. Then they uh, formed this band. Next thing you know, they are Rage Against the Machine. 
So they named themselves Rage Against the Machine after a song that Zach had written in the late 80s for his former underground hardcore punk band, Inside Out. Isn't that a movie so, by Pixar? Yeah, I don't think they're related, but that did cross my mind. So yeah, even before Rage, Zach De La Rocha had his own early punk band back in the 80s as well. So obviously they have a bunch of musical influences from around that time, uh, kind of stuff that you'd expect when you hear their music. Uh, basically anything that rocked in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Zeppelin, Dylan, Chili Peppers, Iron Maiden, Kiss, Ozzy Osbourne. Like, these are all stuff that you can clearly hear in their music when you listen to them. Mm -hmm. um, but then they also had this kind of like hips, hip hop and rap side. Like you said, he was rhyming back in the day. And you can hear some influence from Africa Bambata, Run DMC, Public Enemy, Beastie Boys. Um, if yeah. you want to throw some punk into the mix, there was The Clash, Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, Sex Pistols, Bad Religion. Like, basically, if it rocked in the 70s and 80s, these guys were into it. Yeah, and I feel like they're really, um, they're, they're kind of music heads, you know, and they're, they really are into all different types of music, which I really enjoy. Not every band uh, in the 90s was a, as, uh, as eclectic as them. Uh, before we go into the album, Steve, something that uh, I wanted to ask you. And the more I researched on this band is more and more I saw people calling them new metal. And as much as I <laughs> want to say, uh, technically, maybe, but also there was rapping and there was really no um, shtick to them that I associate with new metal. But then people started, you know, Corn is new metal, right? And Corn's a mm -hmm. good band. So, you know, I start to think, you know, Corn, but then it, it, is, is Sum 41 new metal? Where are we at in the new metal uh, conversation, and why <laughs> does the music industry insist on giving bands genres? Why can't they just be a band? No, I mean, you have to label it somehow. You, you can't walk into a music store in the 90s and just expect, you know, everything to be in one place. But new metal, you're right. Like, all the bands you listed were just kind of, like, a lot younger and kind of immature a little bit and had that leftover 80s metal vibe to them but these guys were way more hardcore than that right like, yeah these guys might even be considered like i don't, I don't want to say real metal but like definitely hard hardcore yeah, yeah they were hard like rock. hard rock it just kind of a little it, bit is a step beyond alternative actually yeah just just a really important part of their origin origin story growing up as a kid who liked playing guitar tom Morello was in every guitar magazine every single one guitar <laughs> With good world, reason. guitar player it was just Tom Morello all the time. Tom Morello's tips on your guitar. Tom Morello's tips on life. And then you listen to his songs, and as a young guitar player, you're like, hey, Tom Morello, how the hell do you play that? Can you put that down for me, the DJ scratching and all this wacky stuff, man? He, he Legend. Legendary yeah, guy. Yeah, he was, he was the, one of the premier rock guitarists of the 90s. Like, he had his own style. He had his own sound. Like, mm -hmm. he could play things, like you said, how do you even play that? He was that guy. <laughs> yep. So we're ready to start diving into their discography, tell you a little bit about their, their albums. Yeah, let's go to these bands. Full disclosure, these guys are like the cream of the 90s uh, slash 2000s that they only have a few albums, and they're all money. Every song on them is pretty legit. So as opposed to Red Hot Chili Peppers, who had a huge discography, this band's relatively, relatively quick trip, but very, very memorable. Yeah, what is this, four albums over eight years? That's really not a whole lot. Not even four, because three of them were original music. The fourth one is going to be a uh, covers, a lot of covers. Songs right. that were composed of other people's songs. So 
All right. Well, then, yeah, let's kick it off with our first album. It was self-titled and eponymous. It was called Rage Against the Machine. It's like, hey, guys, here we are. Welcome to the world. Um, had the, the I think their first hit was Killing in the Name. This came out around 92. And uh, this was the track that brought it to triple platinum status. They wow. kind of hit the ground running with this one. Um, got some heavy radio rotation. But what's cool about this song is that it only has eight lines of lyrics. It's crazy. I mean, a lot of repetition in there. But what's cool about it is that some of the lyrics from this song are more relevant today than ever. Like just given all the... I mean, we're going to dive into this basically every step along the way, but Rage Against the Machine was a very politically active band. They had very strong stances on politics, not just American politics, but like Mexican politics and like Mm -hmm. world politics. They really did their research and had strong feelings and strong messages in every single one of their songs. And they took them into action too, which will, which is kind of, I didn't know until, until I was preparing for this podcast that uh, these guys didn't just talk the talk. They, they legit walked the walk. Yes. So it even goes to show on the cover of their first album, it has this Pulitzer prize winning image of a Vietnamese Buddhist monk burning himself to death. And, you know, I was, young at the time and had no idea what it was. I didn't even realize it was a real image, but this goes back to 1963. There was um, this guy who was protesting the murder of Buddhists by the U.S.-backed prime minister at the time. That's crazy. In protest, this guy self-immolated, and I had no idea what that word was until I actually researched the cover of this album. And um, yeah, this monk lit himself on fire, and it was like suicide by fire. Um, well, as think a about protest. the timing too. 1963, um, right, right around the time that we enter into a war with that country. And I think, if it's mm-hmm. anything, it's 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 a uh, it's a symbol of, hey, we probably shouldn't have messed with these people with the guy that's going to self-immolate <laughs> himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's think twice. So yeah, when I was that young, I just thought, hey, that's a badass picture, without even realizing the s- symbolism or significance behind it. But yeah, absolutely. And then. While Killing the Name is is the song that got a lot of heavy rotation, um, one of my favorite songs uh, to play, a really cool song, is Bomb Track. I mean, just another bomb track. It's killer, man. It's such a cool song. It's so, uh, yeah. It, all of their songs. It was kind of interesting as I listened to them for in preparation. All their songs have really good buildup and really good like swelling mm. and release, and they have a lot of good dynamics, which only comes for everyone listening who maybe plays music, only comes in rock from a good drummer. The drummer mm. in this band's dynamics are on point. He can go real soft and real loud and real soft and real loud. And a lot of good drummers could do that in the 90s, like maybe a guy named Dave Grohl. <laughs> now I'm going to start paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's interesting observation. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, these the riffs on that song were actually written by the bass player. Congratulations. To all you bass players who never, your song ideas never get listened to. Um, <laughs> the bass player in this band has a lot of track credits and a lot of songwriting credits. Um, but the song Bomb Track in its simplest form is just referencing to, it's the bomb. It's the bomb track. And I think it's oh, kind so of, not to be taken literally. No, correct. You're not exploding. Got it. Yeah. Let's be clear that these guys don't condone violence, or at least that's their public stance. And I think that's the great thing is that a lot of the imagery in Zach LaRoche's lyrics on their surface are violent, but when you listen to the content of them, is actually much more meaningful than that. 
It's just how they capture people's attention. But I always thought bomb track meant it was like some political statement. He's like, nah, it's just the bomb. It's the greatest. I'm like, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you hear this music, it, there's a lot of rage and anger behind it. You figure that equates to physical violence, but that's not necessarily the case. One of the other things about this song is that um, the acoustic version of the song was only played live once. Um, that was at the K-Rock Acoustic Christmas back in 93. Question, Steve. I didn't look that up, but if it includes like a soft Zach De La Rocha singing it, it's got to be the funniest thing on earth. What, what it, this is acoustic. Okay. This is like Pearl Jam's Unplugged, MTV Unplugged. Right. It's way too loud. So when I hear acoustic version <laughs> of this song, I just picture it like softened strings and the drummer's still hitting really hard and Zach De La Rocha yelling. Yeah, I can't imagine Rage being acoustic in the first place. Yeah, we're going to have to check that out. We'll we'll, we'll see if we can put that on one of our playlists. Put a pin in that. All right. Um, Another track from this album is called Know Your Enemy. And this is one of those tracks that has Tom Morello's signature sound. Um, He has this cool effect using his toggle switch. So he switches his pickups on and off to make that like tremolo effect. It sounds kind of wavy. And he seems to do that all the time. That's like his signature style. And... um, it has some remnants of 70s classic rock. Uh, if you look at like the sim- synthesizer sounds, it's almost like he's trying to imitate that a little bit. Yeah. And um, on the bass side, this song incorporates a bunch of slap bass. Yeah. Which uh, is also found on this album on the Take the Power Back track. Um, you think Take the Power Back has any political overtones? <laughs> a little bit. We got to take the power <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. What's kind of cool about that um, Know Your Enemy and that slap bass part is that it's a bass solo. Uh, it's right before the guitar solo. He plays it. It's kind of cool because uh, slap bass and Rage Against the Machine do not typically go hand in hand. Somehow he makes it work. Yeah. Also, Steve, who's the featured guest singer on Know Your Enemy? One Maynard James. Of Tool. You're kidding me. The dude from Tool. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and check that one out. Yeah, he sounds as creepy as ever. Um, <laughs> He's good at that. Comes naturally. Yeah, and, and another track I really love off this album is Wake Up. Um, so the, the lyrics in the song, they discuss racism within the American government and the counterintelligence programs with the FBI. Um, so a spoke, spoken portion of the song and a funny, funny story. I wanted to learn more about this. I was at the gym lifting some weights and this quiet part of him talking in the song comes on. Um, and it turns out that it's an actual portion of an FBI memo written by James Edgar, Edgar Hoover, um, suggesting Whoa. that there's prominent African American figures that are being targeted like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And it's literally talking about the, how dangerous they are. <laughs> and wow. so the song implies that they are, um, you know, maybe somewhat responsible uh, in how much they were tracking them back then. Um, but it's amazing because he just yells, wake up. And again, it's one of those songs that at the end when he's yelling, it just drives, you know, it's, it's so cool. I, I um, it, it kind of goes without saying, I understand why people listen to the Rage Against the Machine and forget they're singing about leftist communist politics <laughs> because <laughs> the music rocks so hard that they, you just, it, it kind of like, you know, you, you can just kind of go through it and go, oh, what was that guy yelling about? <laughs> when you listen to it, right. you're like, oh, wow. 
You could be sitting there jamming to the music, not realizing what's actually behind it. Right. So, uh, yeah, this song also references um, Martin Luther King speeches. Wow. Towards the end, it says, uh, how long, not long, because what you reap is what you sow, which was uh, part of Martin Luther King's speech on during the Selma March, like one of his famous speeches. Um, uh, I think the name of his speech was called How Long, Not Long, because uh, he's saying when he's talking about equality, he says, I know you're asking today, how long will it take till we get to equality? How long, not long, because what you reap is what you sow. Yeah, man, that's sick, though. I mean, think about that, though. He took a, a famous line from a Martin Luther King speech and turned it into uh, a conversation about wake up with what's happening around you. Um, I think that's really cool. Uh, and so one of the things that I take out of that is that, again, sounds violent, sounds aggressive, but he's quite literally saying take polit- political action and stand up for your rights. <laughs> it's, it's only fair. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty, pretty cool. solid message. Um, all right, so that's all just from their first album. Yeah. Like, do we have anything else to add there? I think we covered all the major points, right? Yeah, well, some other songs um, that are cool. I, I do like um, every song on this album. Bullet in the Head, which we didn't talk a whole lot about. Um, right. <laughs> that's, that's pretty, it's a pretty intense song. Um, uh, settle for Nothing. You settle for nothing now, or you settle for nothing later. If you don't take action mm. now, you settle for nothing later. I mean, look okay. at look at what's happening around us. If you don't take action now, you settle for nothing later. People took action. It's time to take some action, yeah. yeah. So it's pr- pretty cool. Um, yeah, but I, I really like that album, and I think for a, a band like that, which was, um, you could say, I hate to say they're a new genre, but I don't think there had ever been somebody who raps that heavy um, with such heavy rock, like just a, a very unique uh, band. <laughs> really, yeah. yeah. They, they incorporate, yeah, it's like very heavy rock, they rap a bunch of lyrics. There's definitely some punk influence in there. Like, yeah, they mix it all up. Yeah, yeah, great album. All right, so then maybe we're ready to move on to the next album. In 96, they came out with Evil Empire. This is the album that I learned about them with, and pretty sure it was in your apartment in Orlando because the cover caught my attention. I was like, what is this dude? Um, it's like that little <laughs> kid with the slick hair, and he's wearing a, like an E superhero costume. Um, they have really cool art. Uh, you know, Something that, that is kind of interesting is I don't know if they commissioned it all, if it was like something they did themselves, but... Their album art, their all their their single art, it's all very uh very cool. But anyways, um, Evil Empire. Right. So this one came out four years after the first album. That's a long time. And like, well, long enough where people were talking about, hey, are they ever getting back together? Are they broken up? What's the story here? Um, but then they released Evil Empire, and immediately it hit number one. It's crazy. <laughs> and eventually, again, made it triple platinum. It seems like that's their their plateau. They. One of their most famous songs ever is Bulls on Parade. I mean, if you know about if you know about these guys, you know about that song. And it deb- debuted on Saturday Night Live. Of all places, they, they played Saturday Night Live. And that is one show where politics can only go so far. Like, they kind of skirt the line when it comes to politics, but um, Rage Against the Machine seems to have crossed that line. So during the first song, 
they hung upside down American flags on their amps as kind of a protest because that same night, Steve Forbes was a Republican presidential candidate. He was on the show with them. He was the guest host. SNL sounds lame in the 90s. Why are they inviting that guy to be the guest host? Like, isn't Bob Saget, doesn't he have a break from home from uh, Full House? <laughs> he could come do a couple episodes. <laughs> There's only 52 weeks in a year, Steve. A 52 guests, that guy. There's, <laughs> there, must be a really, there must be a really short line outside the door in 96 for SNL guests. Yeah, times were very, <laughs> very different. Hey, this guy might be president someday. Let's have him on SNL. Oh, man. But yeah, they played their first song. They, they posted up upside down flags on their amps um, as kind of their, their political statement for the night. And immediately got banned. They were not even allowed to play their second song. Like, they said, all right, we're done here. So uh, the bass player rushed into Forbes' dressing room and tore up the flag, <laughs> threw bits of it into his face like it turned into a whole big thing. So surprisingly, Tom Morello later said that they got a lot of support from Saturday Night Live cast members. They expressed, they expressed solidarity with their actions and uh, a little bit of a sense of shame that their show had censored their performance. Yeah. Later on, they came out and made an official statement saying Rage Against the Machine wanted to stand in opposition to a billionaire telling jokes and promoting his own flat tax. So they uh, made their own statement about are, it. These guys are, are kind of nuts. And I don't, I don't know if I approve of ripping up the flag and throwing it at someone in their dressing room. But just the fact that they got kicked off before they played their second song um, at this point, uh, yeah, the way they are, I, I could expect that to get a little out of hand. <laughs> I mean, you're also not Tom Morello. <laughs> like, Tom Morello has certain liberties that he can do because he's famous and very outspoken. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and so uh, Bulls on Parade, uh, Tom Morello, he, he said that when he was writing the guitar solo for that song, he was going for like a sort of Ghetto Boys DJ scratch sound. Um, huh. I remember as a kid reading a Guitar World article where he talked about that. He talked about how I'm influenced more by hip hop sounds in my guitar playing. That's that's what I you know more more likely to get a Run DMC idea than a rock idea. Um, and it goes back to that whole how does he do it? I don't know. You said it from the last album. <laughs> he toggled the pickup switch while he played. For, that that's hard. That's really hard stuff. That's <laughs> like what were you doing? <laughs> He makes it look easy. He flows up and down his guitar like it's, it's bananas. water. He's a, he's a so they call a he's a technical guitar player, and a lot of people um, maybe don't know that because it's loud. But he's very technical in what he plays. Very precise. So another one of the greatest songs on this Evil Empire album is Vietnam. Yeah, that that is a breakbeat, man. That what a cool beat breakbeat. So yeah, the lyrics here is uh, he's talking about. Right-wing AM radio shows, like Rush Limbaugh style. We all love like, those right-wing AM radio shows. I don't know what you mean by all of us, <laughs> but <laughs> this uh, oh, turn on the radio. Nah. F it. Turn it off. Turn it off. Fear is your only god on the radio. Nah. F it. F it. Turn it off. Um, kind of relevant to what's <laughs> happening today. Yeah. It's almost like news is uh, brainwashing certain parts of the population. So, yeah, this was talking about in the mid-90s, even before, you know, what's happening today. They kind of saw what was happening and spoke up about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely um, a really cool uh, idea that uh, fear is your only god 
Um, just, uh, I, I don't, I don't particularly think this band was trying to ever not make a song political. But then I also <laughs> think that when you think about, um, what drives people's decisions today, it's mostly based on their fear. And so it is an interesting dynamic where, um, fear does control us. And right now I'll, uh, probably rightfully so. But a uh, very, very cool song. Um, there's also a song on this album called Town Rodeo. And um, anybody that listens to that song, you know, I, I think the interesting part about it is he talks about rolling down Rodeo with a shotgun. And everybody takes that to be super violent. <laughs> and, I, and I looked it up. What's interesting is that shotguns, and, what, and they asked him about it, he goes, shotgun is a self-defense weapon. And so okay. the, the actual song is talking about how he's a minority going into a place where he's not supposed to be and he has his shotgun as protection. So it's not about mm. being violent. It's about, hey, they're, they're, they're coming back around again. Like, they're coming to check me out because I don't belong here. Um, and if anybody knows Rodeo Drive in California, that's where all the really high-end shops are. Um, right. And uh, a lot of the lyrics in this band, I think, did derive from that Rodney King um, episode in the in the early '90s because <laughs> there were riots there, all the LA riots. That's right. That was our hometown. That's where they're from. Plus, I think Zach sat on a, on good lyrics for a long time. I, I don't think he he wrote these <laughs> just waiting for the right moment. Yeah, ready for the, for it to fit um, fit fit the music. But uh, I don't know. I I just like the the whole beat of the song. It's very cool. It's got that that guitar sound. That you know what I feel like. I feel Tom Rill probably sits in a room and starts just messing around with his guitar. And he finally like figures something out and he's like, Oh, and he just keeps practicing that thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but seriously, what a, what a crazy, crazy ass guitar uh, part. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, let's wrap up this album with the song people of the sun. Yeah. Sick. Which uh, goes about, goes a bit into some political Mexican history. Is, is Zach De La Rocha Mexican? Yeah, he is. That makes sense then. So that's where this song was inspired from. Uh, and it's also where their logo was inspired from. They have the black flag with the red star, which is on the cover of this album. And, and you've seen it in a lot of uh, what they do. It was the flag of the Zapatista army of nat national liberation. It's a, a far left political militant group that controls a lot of territory in southern Mexico. Yeah. And southern Mexico is kind of always looked down upon by the rest of the country. You know, um, Mexico City, all the good towns are more heading up uh, the Yucatan, uh, you know, area and, and up towards uh, the United States. That's where all the kind of the money is. And the southern side, um, they always kind of get to, government doesn't really give them any resources. And so they kind of make their own. And so uh, it's interesting. It's, it's for sure cool. I actually, I had no idea that Black Flag with a Red Star was that and I remember buying a hat like Tom Morello wears with a little red star That's and a right. black hat. <laughs> and now that I think about it, I'm like, oh man, that that meant a lot more than I thought. But um, yeah, a lot of symbolism there. Um, and uh, really, I think a whole different world if you think about where that area is. Their next album, Battle of Los Angeles, would be the band's last full-length studio album, um, at, you know, full of original over, material. Over original content. Yeah. Yeah. Before they broke up uh, a year later in 2000. 
All right, so yeah, the song Sleep Now in the Fire is uh, one of the bangers from this album. And the video for it was recorded just down the street from where I live now. It's uh, here in New York. It was directed by Michael Moore, who also has more than his fair share of political documentaries. Um, So back in January of 2000, um, down by the New York Stock Exchange, they put out an open casting call about 300 people showed up on the steps of Federal Hall. It's the site of George Washington's inauguration. It's right across the street from the New York Stock Exchange. They shot the video, and all of a sudden, all of these fans who were hanging out there, they bum-rushed the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> and, you know, I guess this was before, you know, all the security after 9-11-2001, so they were able to just, like, bust right in, break through. And... Um, Yeah, so after it was all over, Tom Morello ended up giving some commentary on it. He said, of course, our protest stopped trading the stock exchange for at least two hours of the day. I guess we stopped downsizing for a few hours. (laughs) Like, that's what the stock exchange was or or is to them. It's a bunch of, you know, high-end companies who were making these big decisions, and he felt proud and accomplished that he was able to interrupt that at least for a short time. Just imagine this open casting call and there's some people that are like, oh, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, I know those guys. But then there's some people that are indoctrinated on the way there that put on their music and they're like, yeah, yeah, these guys got a point. <laughs> That's true. Their music gets you pumped up. Like if you're yeah, going to protest, Rage is great music to protest to. It's one of the few bands that'll give me tingles if I'm, if I'm really digging it. It'll actually make make give me the give me the tingles of just like wow, this music is powerful. <laughs> but yeah, uh, testify. Um, love love this song. Um, so the funny thing about testify is that there was a song called testify that was performed all the way back in '93 at the same event where they were where they played an acoustic version of Bomb Track. So the song was called Testify, completely unrelated to this track, other than the title. And uh-huh. even though it was only played once and disappeared, some of the same lyrics ended up in Down Rodeo and People of the Sun. <laughs> so That's cool. So it's like, again, I think Zach sits on good lyrics because he, there's a song totally unrelated. And um, one of the cool things is that this song Testify, when they got back together, their reunion tour in 2007, this was typically the song they opened up concerts with. Which, if you hear Testify once, you'd know why it's a great song to start a concert with. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the the rest of the show, doesn't great it? Great bass line, you know, boom, it's a cool, cool song. Um, and yeah, you know, yeah. when you talk about the uh, the video, music video, and let's uh, shout out for music videos in the '90s. I don't think we give them enough credit, Steve. They don't happen I give anymore. them all the credit. I was raised on those music <laughs> they videos. They were sick, and now they're hot garbage. Now they're TikTok videos. So <laughs> key, key, key themes in the music video um, of, of Testify was talking all about our reliance on oil. Um, several clips of the Gulf War and big lines of the gas pumps. And there's a lyric in there in Testify where he's... Zach LaRocha is... He's like Eddie Vedder, but with braces. You can't understand a single <laughs> guy says. <laughs> so one of the lyrics he says is, is what he's like, mass grace for the pump and the price is set. That is a really cool, cool lyric and rhyme. Mass graves right. for the pump and the price is set. So it's war. We're fighting over oil. Mass graves for the pump. That's what he's saying. When you're a good poet, that crazy? that's how you do it. 
Yeah, you make imagery. Yeah. So I love that song. I love I love the uh, the whole vibe of it. It's ridiculous. You know, who controls the past now, controls the future. Who controls the oh, present yeah, now, that's, controls that's the song. past. Wow. So, all right, yeah, let's close out this album with the song Gorilla Radio. Oh, man. Another one of their uh, hottest songs on here. Yeah. And without getting into too much of the history or, or the pol- politicalness of this track, uh, it reminds me of the time of video games. <laughs> this song was marketed everywhere. It was in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. It was in Madden. It was in Guitar Hero. And... When I was going through my rock band phase, man, I was playing this song every single day. We've all had a rock band phase, Steve. It's okay. It's a good phase to have. Oh, it's the best instrument I, I can play. The <laughs> plastic guitar, I can wail the on it. The first band I was in, I remember uh, being at my bass player Sean's house, and the guitar player's name, uh, his name was Tony. And he'd pick us up, and we'd be... Like, he's waiting for to pick us up to take us to an actual gig. And we'd be like, hold on, we're finishing this song on Rock on rock Band. He'd be like, do you guys want to stop <laughs> pretending to be rock stars and actually go be the rock star? We're like, uh, give us a minute. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, let me just finish up playing the plastic guitar before I play the actual guitar. Yeah, man, and yeah, their their album. Um, I guess you'd say the re- last most recent album. I don't know. Um, anyways, it came out in December of two thousand, like basically the year after Battle of Los Angeles, and two months after they broke up. And it's a bunch of different cover songs from artists like Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, uh, Eric B and Rakim, EPMD, MC Five, The Stones, Cypress Hill, freaking Devo. I mean. Just a really hodgepodge of music based on uh, other artists. When when you mention all those artists, most of them were political in their own way. Yeah. Like, they each had something to say. They each had strong messages. So it only makes sense that Rage Against what the Machine would cover some of this stuff. What was the message? Just cocaine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very <laughs> political at the time. Yeah, really strong statement. <laughs> um, so this track had Renegades of Funk, which was probably, I, I think, one of its biggest hits. And, uh, you know, they used a bunch of samples in here. It took lyrics from Africa Bombada. It had the percussion instrumental from uh, Apache. Uh, and then somehow it also mixed in some riffs from Cheap Trick. Uh, they, I don't know how they made that all work out together, but it was it was, it was a bomb track. All right, awesome. Well, fire round. Let's list, uh, list all the renegades that are pictured in the music video montage. Of this song, Chief Sitting Bull, Thomas Payne, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Paul Robeson, Richard Pryor, Gil Scott, said, Last Poets, James Brown, Curtis Mayfield, Sign of Stone, George Clinton, Parliament Funk, Grandmaster Flash, Curtis Blow, Nat Hernan, Huey Newton. I can't even go through them all, but... Yeah, this goes on and on. Che Guevara's che in Guevara, here. Cesar Chavez, Rosa Parks, Run DMC, Ice-T. Um, Susan B. Anthony, LL Cool J, Ice-T. The list goes on and on. Salt and Peppa, MC Light. Eric B. and Rakim, Slick, Rick, EPMD, De La Soul, Queen Latifah, N.W.A. That's crazy, man. I mean... There's so many people, and you know that they were all curated, like, these dudes are renegades. All these people, they're going to be in this, in this yeah. awesome video. That That's kind of the whole point of the song, is, like, giving shout-outs to all the people who are, you know, political protesters who have a message, people who stood up for something at some point. 
And the video is an awesome montage of all these little cameo spots from all these amazing people at the time. I remember the James Brown one distinctly because it's a really cool, like him sweating, singing, like dripping all over the place. Um, James Brown is a sweaty son of a gun. And <laughs> no, I, <laughs> hardest working man in show The lyrics business. are pretty tame for Rage Against the Machine. Um, I mean, they talk a little bit of politics, but when it's like, you had to be a renegade those days to step out on the dance floor, right. it's very, very uh, PG. <laughs> for, 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 uh, I didn't. I didn't look into it, but I'm pretty sure that the number of times Zach Larocca says the F word has to be up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, right. It's a lot. So no, that that's really the fastestography of this group. But like I said, um, a lot of amazing songs and timeless, timeless songs. They still resonate today. Yeah, probably more than ever. Like these guys. Once you have a, a message like that, it doesn't matter when it comes up. It's, uh, you know, we kind of go through cycles of protest and peace and all this kind of stuff. And it's definitely hitting home these days. Before we move on from the music part of Rage Against the Machine here to their accolades, something else that's really important is that people say that Van Van Halen had the most distinguishable guitar sound ever. Tom Morello is my Van Halen. To your point, Steve, you know it's Tom Morello. You could be in any band and you're like, oh, yeah, there he goes again. And uh, listening to their songs, all every different, every song he has a different sound a different tone like he has a really good perception of what works good for the song um and i mm-hmm. think um something that really amazed me and inspired me when when i was uh you know writing music and anytime i play music about him is that it's more important to listen to what you're doing on an instrument than to worry about how it sounds and i, I i'm trying mm. the way that the way i'm making sense of that is that if you put something out and you're expecting someone else to like the way it sounds, but you're not sure if you like it, it ain't right. And so Tom Morello's playing okay. something that he likes the way it sounds first and foremost. This sounds good to me. Right, that's what's important. So, yeah, these guys have won more than their fair share of awards, but what they haven't won is entry into the Rock and Roll Hall Ooh. of Fame. Right? They've been nominated twice. <laughs> 2017... 2018, denied both times. Crazy. They're even getting support from from other people. You want to? Oh, no. Go ahead, Steve. Keep going. Okay. So, yeah, Jeff Ament uh, from Pearl Jam even spoke up about it. So Pearl Jam has uh, their own show on Sirius XM or their own station, I guess, from time to time. And he took a minute and he even criticized the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for snubbing Rage Against the Machine, saying these guys are, you know, classic these guys made an impact these guys you know stood the test of time they deserve a spot but for some reason they still haven't made it yet isn't it crazy too that tom morello is on the rock and roll hall of fame committee yeah that's the weirdest part of all you would imagine he would vote for himself is it though because when you think about what they're all about <laughs> they're you know they're left-wing socialist ways he probably thinks it's, it's a good thing that they're getting denied you know, like, you know what? No, I'm not going to I'm not going to put my hat in for this. He probably goes in every time and votes for the weirdest, you know, hey, who are you nominating? Oh, well, cheap trick. We did that good thing with them. With the, <laughs> just kidding. I'm not sure what band <laughs> he's had a, a hand uh, in helping to vote in. But 
that is kind of crazy that he sits on the committee. Um, I wonder if uh, they just want to keep it fair. Beats me. Great band. Um, right. Like I said, if Cream is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, these guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. They are the cream of the 90s. Wow. There's some strong words there, but are you equating Tom Morello to Eric Clapton? <sighs> <laughs> no I don't want to put you on the <laughs> no. spot I know that was a big question no, Sorry about no. that <laughs> <laughs> It's alright No, it's okay It's like a slow hand Versus fast hand um, Ah, yes No, but No, just in the sense That they have Very small Amount of records But are all very impactful You know, Cream was those, Cream's one of those right. bands That came and went You know, it made Eric Clapton um, And then Ginger ba- Baker And Jack Bruce Are the reason they broke up um, in this band, I feel like they broke up cause they just were arguing about everything. Like you re- you read into how that went down. It was like, they were, they were arguing about if the shirts that they're selling should be camouflage or army green. It was like, what are we doing? Like, this is, this is important. <laughs> um, and I think it, it just, it just goes to show that when you got that much fire, um, in the cannon that, uh, sometimes it's liable to explode. And so I'm very thankful for their music. Um, I always look forward to listening to it. It's one of the few bands that I refuse to skip uh, when they come on. So rock out, Rage. And now it's time for your... Just so you know, that's timed beautifully every time. It's like hilarious how much we have that little, that space of time. When I did the edit, Steve, there was no modification. It was like, all right, wow. It's like... (laughs) We've got it. We, we know. We know what it takes. So, first rock fact about Rage Against the Machine is uh, about the song Killing in the Name Of. So, if you know this song, you know that they dropped the F-bomb like something like 17 times in this song, mm-hmm. right? It is not radio-friendly. They have a radio-friendly version where they cut those parts out or they bleep it out. But, back in 1993, there was a Top 40 single show over on BBC, and they played the wrong one. <laughs> So I don't know if they get fined on like a per instance, <laughs> but to hear that F-bomb 17 times was probably a very costly mistake. And I'm going to bet that that was totally intentional. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Uh, radio DJs rejoice. It was like, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll put this one on. And then what? After 9-11, Clear Channel, you know, they posted a memo of lyrically questionable songs for the radio. Guess what? Every song of what band was on that list? This one. <laughs> Anything by Rage Against the Machine is no longer eligible for radio airplay because <laughs> we're living in the in the times of extreme political correctness. Isn't that insane? That is absolutely insane that every single Rage Against the Machine song is like, yep, that one, yep. That yeah, one. not a single one made it through. <laughs> like, like, isn't there like one Rage Against the Machine lullaby that would like, no. No, they're like, <laughs> yeah, like, can't we let Tire Me go in? It only talks about Kennedy's assassination. Isn't that fair play? <laughs> yeah, what else, Steve? No. Well, um, so just last November, these guys announced a comeback. Like, yeah. things in the world right now are so crazy that these guys decided, all right, maybe it's time to get back together. Let's bring our music to the masses. There's a whole new generation of kids out there who should be listening to our stuff. And they haven't played for like eight years together. But then 2020 happened, and everything got canceled. Yeah, wasn't the big joke is that they were going to play it like uh, Lollapalooza or somewhere, uh, somewhere really big. They were going to play it Coachella, Coachella, I think. And it was talking about like, yeah, yeah these, these people are going to pay you know, $800 to go see <laughs> Rich Against the Machine. It's like... Just, 
just to hear them sing about that the those their audience is the so problem. Steve, did you miss the <laughs> chance to see them live, or did you ever get a chance to see them live? I was thinking about that, and I did see them live, but I'm trying to pr- remember exactly when and where. I can probably look through my box of ticket stubs and uh, and find it in there. But I know that during the mid '90s, um, I was big into the festivals. <laughs> Steve, you're everybody's cool well, uncle. Like. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember going to a show, but I have to look back, kind of piece together. What car was I driving? Hang on. What car was I driving? <laughs> Where was I living at the time? Oh, yeah. Now I yeah. remember. Oh, now I remember. I mean, sorry if my 16-year-old, me- 16-year-old Steve memories aren't so crisp and clear. That's all good, man. Well, that concludes our... So, uh, similar artists and albums... Um, <laughs> it's funny because it's like this band has made a bunch of bands. <laughs> they were made from. Yeah, we don't have to talk about similar. We can just talk about offshoots. Like we could talk the me- talk about the members of this band and other projects they've been in. Three members form Prophets of Rage, Public Enemy, and Cypress Hill, um, including these guys. So Prophets of Rage uh, did some good stuff. Had some really cool tunes. You would think that they could come up with a better name, like where they're already Rage, but they're like, let's call ourselves Prophets of Rage. Well, there's got to be some story I think they there. Go, they should have gone totally Prince and just been a symbol. <laughs> <Yeah>. Just call <laughs> themselves Prophets. Hashtag. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, you ever heard of Audio Slave? Uh, uh-huh. All right, good. Um... They're they're basically the same band. They just traded the lead singer for Chris Cornell. Right, and deep cut guys on um on this because it's lost forever in our Chris Cornell podcast. At one point in time, all of our all of our MP3 tags got labeled as audio slave, or a big chunk of them. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve remembers this vividly because it's like, oh, the Beatles White Album. No, audio slave. What? How is this audio slave? Man, those ID3 tags, those darn, those dreaded... They get you. <laughs> oh, I, I was so precise about labeling all my MP3s, and now we just have Spotify. Life is so much yeah, easier. Yeah, and then Run the Jewels um, has Zach on a bunch of songs, which I did not know. Yeah, another very politically charged, very strong messages from Run the Jewels, so it makes sense to have Zach on there. So then... Right, we're just talking about Audio Slave, and they were not quite as political. It was much more just, you know, average, everyday, alternative music. So that was not enough for Tom Morello. He said, you know what, I'm still in Audio Slave, and I'm doing my thing here, but I need to get my message across. So in 2003, he went out on his own, made a, a band, or if you can call it that, called the Night Watchman. And it was he used it as his outlet for political views while he was playing apolitical music with audio slave. Yeah, I think Chris Cornell um, did a much better job talking about his life and all the struggles he had. So the music was a little more um, tame and it wasn't all about politics. But um, I don't know, man. Like a Stone hits it just as, as good as any Rage song. The song is pretty good. This is, this is true. Yeah. Um, yep. Again, Tom Morello's guitar playing. Doesn't matter what band he's with, he, he is himself. That's awesome, though, that he had another group to be able to outlet that side of him because he still very much wants to be um, out there talking about it. And, and and that's what's really funny. I believe he has a... Doesn't he have some kind of high degree in 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 
like not social studies, but he has some kind of really up there degree in political science. Like a political science yeah, there's major. There's a meme online where someone's like, "Shut up, Tom Morello. You're no expert. Shut up and play your music." And he's like, "Yeah, no. It would be <laughs> helpful if I was a this and this in political science, which I actually am. A blah 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 in political science. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, he is knowledgeable." That's, that's pretty awesome. So now on to our sucky song of the day. Go ahead, Steve. Take it away. All right. Well, this one has nothing to do with Rage Against the Machine. We're going to take a little sidetrack here. Um, we were... I forgot how this came up, but we were talking about, you know, songs, as we usually do when we're not recording a podcast. And there's a song that came that was on the Kill Bill soundtrack called Woo Hoo. <laughs> Woo Hoo. Yeah, can you hear my enthusiasm behind that woo Yeah, what happened is I texted you this song, and I said, hey, this song's low-key all right. <laughs> you replied back. I hate, I hate it. <laughs> Not even, I yeah. hate this song. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I, on second thought, I, I did go back and listen to it, and the song itself is actually decent. Like, it's kind of got this rockabilly, rockabilly vibe to it. But it's the woohoos that really make me want to, like, punch someone. <laughs> like, just don't talk. After a while, it gets a little yeah. bit over the top. And uh, talk. Ab- <laughs> if this was a strictly instrumental track, it would be awesome. Like, you could sit there and jam to it, and like, you know, it's actually kind of fun rockabilly. But they ruined it. Yeah, and it. also, it's not um, not at all <laughs> a good song compared to the rest of the songs on that. Uh, amazing soundtrack for Kill Bill, right? And that That's right. They had some Nancy Sinatra songs on there. RZA played a big part in the Kill Bill soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and I have it on my iPod playlist, like my personal music. Um, there's a bunch of tracks from David Carradine, who had some really awesome monologues. Uh, during the movie and they included that on the soundtrack and they just pop up every once in a while like cool stories to tell and stuff so I mean the Kill Bill soundtrack was awesome it's just this song had to freaking ruin it <laughs> yeah I, I think uh, as you're going through the layers of hell this one probably is the soundtrack for the third <laughs> layer of hell this goes to show how musically judgmental we are that this is only third layer there's additionally four more layers so what's what's at the bottom yeah, I'm not gonna say it's the worst so song Oh, come on. You know that. It's Wicked Game. Chris Isaac just takes the cake, man. We, are, we already did a segment on yeah. that. Go back and if you If you want to <laughs> know how, how this came about, where I found out how much Steve hated this song, we were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they have a little TV room. And they were playing these music videos. And one portion of it, they put on Chris Isaac. You don't remember this. And Steve visibly, visibly, like, turned away, like... If I could just leave here. Yeah, I get a physical, like, visceral oh, reaction out of it. Why is that happening? But I, th- I think the most important thing to note about this song is that it was literally sold to sell everything when this movie came out. iPhones, tablets, soda pop, cream cheese. This song was the <laughs> most homogenous commercial song ever. You don't remember? It was like every commercial had this song. Yeah, it Part of the reason why I hate it so much, because it's so catchy. And it was probably one of those songs I hear it the first time, like, oh, hey, that's cute. And then it gets ingrained in your soul and you can't get it out. (laughs) It becomes a part of you and you just want to rip out that part of you. It's the kind of dirty that you can't shower off. 
Awesome. Well, um, man, that's our show. I, I think we, that was a good one. And um, yeah, yeah. You know, I really think it's really important that uh, we just live, laugh, love, you know, and it's only fair that we don't hang up a, a, a quote such as, you know, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Oh, sorry. Shit, I got a head rush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah could you imagine that like it would be a perfect christmas gift if like you got a plaque for your for the front door of your house like in the live laugh love style only with some rage yeah. lyrics yeah. up on it um, yeah my wallet will say if ignorance is bliss suicide <laughs> you, you could put that on your on your daughter's like bedroom door it's like or when she's a toddler it's like fuck you i won't do what you tell me no trust me we're definitely in the living room that song is playing in the background and we're just like eh, let it be she'll yeah she'll, she'll grow, grow up, up. She'll, she'll, she'll get, get it to it get it out of her system well anyways come back and join us next week when uh, we promise to switch to a different decade <laughs> i mean i love the 90s and everything but we gotta switch it up we need a little more variety in well, here. thanks for uh subscribing and uh steve peace out peace